going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 256 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to talk about our results from week six in the NFL, hit on some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week, Joey. Accountability time, man. The game went under. The game of the century went under. <laughs> I can't I can't I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I mean Why didn't somebody warn me that this was a possibility? Why? <laughs> or, <laughs> I think there was a voice of reason on this podcast and you just chose to uh willfully ignore it. So that's kind of on you, to be honest. Yeah, full throttle into the Bills Chiefs game. My expectations, I don't I don't know, man. I, I feel okay about the process. I still think that expecting this game to be what the expectation was was fine, but I, I don't know, man. Ownership wise, especially like DFS, looking at, you know, Juju 4% and the ownership, especially on the Chiefs side, I feel good about the way that I I played this ultimately, uh, just the results weren't there. I, I don't know. Do you feel differently? Yeah, I mean, from a process standpoint, the Chiefs side was okay. I mean, Juju at 4%, obviously a smash with his result, but MVS 10%. You know, if you told me MVS was going to be more than 10% in the millimaker and probably higher in some smaller field stuff, I would have said to absolutely fade. MVS, Kelsey, 12%. Mahomes, 7%. I think it's okay. Personally, I didn't play any Chiefs besides MVS and Juju. So I didn't have a Mahomes to Kelsey stack. I thought it was just very expensive. I thought Mark Andrews was a better play than Kelsey, and he ended up outscoring him, and he was $800 cheaper, so that kind of worked out. Nonetheless, I mean, the way that the this game fails is because of the lack of talent you know, on the Chiefs side, in my opinion. And the Bills, scheme-wise on defense, still have a very tough defense. And then you take into consideration playing an arrowhead is still a tough place to play, you know, even though the Bills are extremely talented on the offensive side of the ball, but they still struggled to score points and there was a couple of red zone turnovers. So maybe the variance was just on the wrong side of this game in, in terms of it uh, not going nuclear. But I thought this was always in the range of outcomes. And, you know, my prediction on the podcast last Wednesday was 24-17 Buffalo ended up being 24-20. So I was relatively close in terms of my score prediction. And yeah, I mean, just you didn't really need anybody from this game to ship a tournament. Maybe you needed Diggs and Juju. Um, I think more specifically Juju because some players around Diggs had relatively good games. Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, etc. So yeah, I mean, fading this game at ownership, especially on the Bills side, I think was probably the move in tournaments, uh, considering, you know, you flip over the cards, Gabe Davis is 20%, Diggs is massive chalk, Josh Allen is massive chalk, and they all get outscored by other players this week. But pre-lock, I mean, it's hard to say they were bad plays. Yeah, I mean, we kind of saw that coming with the Gabe thing, too. We knew that he would get steamed and that his ownership would come in higher than what the projection said. I didn't think it would be 20%. If if you tell me he's 20%, I'm not playing Gabe Davis. No, same. If you tell me he's 20%, I'm probably full fading him for McKenzie, which wouldn't have worked out either. But I mean, still process-wise, yeah, I I didn't expect that much steam. And maybe that was short-sighted just uh, because we kind of thought that he could get steam, just not to that extent. But nonetheless, 
you know, from a results perspective, anybody who followed anything that I was talking about throughout the week, you know, via the podcast or stream, you know, I didn't have a good week in tournaments because I, I pretty much game stacked this game in almost every lineup, had a ton of Ramondre, even in tournaments, which ended up being huge, um, finished as the second highest scoring running back on the slate, had a lot of Brees as well, but just couldn't get there in GPPs, too many pieces in this Bills Chiefs game. Cash wise, another winning week remaining undefeated on the season, put up 145.86 points, which was good for a 79% win rate in head-to-heads cashed in all double ups. And I'm assuming that you had similar results as yep. well, since we had the same cash lineup for the first time this year. You know, it happens about maybe two or three two, times a year yeah, two where or three times. we end on the same team. And usually, Joey, we get smoked uh, in those weeks. It, it just happens to be when we land on the same team, we both get smoked. But this was a good week. Yeah, I mean, we kind of had a fortunate run out with our cash team. We played Irv Smith, which we were on uh, on the Saturday night stream. We were on it on the Wednesday podcast. He was only 2% in cash, so he wasn't in a lot of people's cash pools. We kind of got lucky. He scored a one-yard touchdown. Daryl Henderson scores a touchdown late in the afternoon slate. We didn't play Rondell Moore. He only finishes with 10. We didn't play Jags D. They finished with negative one points. So we kind of had a good run out in cash, but nonetheless still ended up cashing. And, you know, I feel good about the lineup and the process behind the lineup. Maybe it was bad process to play Henderson over Kenneth Walker, um, just considering the, you know, environment of the Rams team right now and how they legitimately cannot run the ball. You know, it's an easy 2v2 swap, right? You go Walker over Henderson and Panthers D over Saints D. Yeah. Um, in this lineup. And I, I feel like that's really the only mistake that we made with this lineup, but nonetheless, still a cashing week. Obviously cashed in all double ups and me specifically for tournaments. I had a very good tournament week. Um I had some, you know, top two hundred finishes, some top like three percent, top four percent finishes in tournaments, especially the large field stuff like the Millie Maker. Um my only team that I put in, I only play one Millie Maker team every week finished in the top 2,400 out of 277,000 entries. Obviously not good enough to get the job done, but still 5X'd in that. And that was definitely my best Millie Maker team of the season. Just kind of didn't materialize because I played your boy, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yeah, that that's my bad. I was hyping him up all week. Yeah, sorry. <sighs> if anybody out there is debating playing MVS in any form of fantasy football, just put your phone down. Go take a walk, clear your mind, and come back to your phone or your computer and realize that this man is dog shit. (laughs) And if anybody touts MVS, don't listen to them. Because, I mean, to be fair. He had a touchdown called back. It it was like a seven-yard touchdown. So he would have had like eight points. But still, nonetheless, three targets, zero catches, played 82% of the snaps in this week six game. Obviously, kind of a bad matchup going up against this Buffalo Bills pass defense, which is, you know, top of the league. He He's not good. He's not good at football. And at 10%, I mean, that's just on me. I, I, I knew better. I shouldn't have played him. I should have got off of him. But, you know, I let somebody convince me that MVS was the play this weekend. Tough scene. That, that is tough. That is tough. I'm glad that you had a good tournament week still. 
And, and I guess just real quick, going back to the, the cash pool, I agree that the Irv Smith was easily the thinnest play in this lineup. And I felt that way going into it. Like we were kind of just hoping for Mark Andrews not to go nuclear and for Irv to have a decent game, which, you know, he he had what, like 10 points when it was all said and done, which is good enough at 3.2K. You weren't watching the game uh, with me, but I, I was watching it with our other friends. And like, I literally said, please. We need a fake to Dalvin Cook and then a little one yard pass to Irv Smith. Two seconds later, it happens exactly like that. It was just, it was lit uh, in that moment. Mm -hmm. That was a huge separator that we needed. I feel really good about the running backs that we played. Yeah, I think you're right that we could have made the Kenneth Walker play over Henderson. Ramondre was a clear cut lock. Deion Jackson, more of a more of a tournament play in my opinion. We talked about that on Saturday. Deion Jackson specifically. Yeah, I was all over that in tournaments, which helped my week for sure i played them everywhere early only millie maker the whole nine yeah i don't i don't feel bad about not going there in cash i do think he was a better tournament play especially being an early play that you could make get information and play at a similar price tag to the way chalkier guys like walker and henderson so super solid in tournaments i don't feel bad about not going there in cash i also don't feel bad because he got 10 targets and 10 catches that was just you know just a crazy run out for Deion Jackson but you know awesome play nonetheless and then a lot of people you know didn't even play the the three chalk running backs I mean Camara was chalky but so many people ended up going up to Camara in cash playing a cheap wide receiver most likely Rondale instead of you know the three cheaper running backs and and Chris Godwin which to me just did not make sense within the context of this slate neither of us went that direction but that was a really popular way that people went and cash and I personally think was a mistake to go Camara and cash this week yeah I mean I think from a process standpoint Camara was a very good play and he was cash game viable for sure so I don't think he himself was a bad cash play I think playing him got you on that construction of playing Rondell Moore and paying up at defense because you had a little bit more salary to spend in that lineup specifically got you onto a suboptimal construction, at least in my opinion. Some others in the industry might say that, you know, fading Godwin, like we talked about on Saturday, you know, he only ran around on like, what, 48% of Tom Brady's dropbacks in week five against Atlanta, comes out against Pittsburgh, plays 89% of the snaps, 12 targets, six catches, 95 yards, and he was almost there at the end. He almost got the bonus. Tom Brady just kind of missed him. Yeah. So I think that from a process standpoint, Godwin was definitely the play and I mean I think it's just more so our bias against Rondale Moore kind of led us to fading him which worked out but the Rondale Moore lineup overall I think was just worse than the three cheap running backs and mid-range wide receiver lineup. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the other thing that makes me, you know, skeptical of the Camara play is that projections wise, I think it made more sense to pay up <clears throat> to Mark Andrews over Camara if you were going to do go the Rondale Moore route. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't making that call uh, this week, but I just think that that would have been a little bit better too. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, good week for us in cash. Let's talk about some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. I would say that the theme of this week was big time bounce backs from 
especially the wide receiver position, and nobody bounced back as prolifically as Jamar Chase. Seven for 132 and two touchdowns, 35 points on DraftKings, the highest scoring wide receiver on the slate. After four consecutive weeks of less than 14 points, we finally got a ceiling game out of Jamar Chase, Joey, and this is why we pay attention to the Sunday morning news, why you need to be on Twitter all morning Sunday, because if you saw Joe Burrow show up to the Saints Stadium with his hmm. Jamar Chase LSU jersey on, the swag, the, the levels were just off the charts. <laughs> and, and in that moment, if you weren't plugging Burrow and Chase into your lineups, you were going, you were destined to lose this slate. And I, I should have been on Burrow more after that, but yeah, I mean, God, Jamar Chase, yeah. huge bounce back, Burrow, huge bounce back. Good to see the Cincinnati passing game finally click. Yeah, I mean, definitely a good bounce back game for Jamar Chase. You know, scores a late touchdown to put him over the top but from a you know real life standpoint Joe Burrow was swagged out you know coming back home to the place where they won the national championship together at LSU in the dome right from a process standpoint I think it was bad process that we didn't consider Joe Burrow enough especially with the news that T Higgins was getting ruled in Marshawn Lattimore was obviously out which I think is a huge blow to the Saints passing game Hayden Hurst was ruled active so the Bengals come into the spot with a full cast of weapons going up against the defense that has gotten shredded through the air missing their top corner Jamar Chase picking up steam uh, he ended up being 15% in the milli which obviously isn't crazy but he was still projected for lower ownership early in the week but Joe Burrow comes in at 4% 6,700 and you need him to ship uh, so I think from a process standpoint Point, that was probably bad that you know I slash we didn't consider Joe Burrow enough just in terms of the Bengals uh, team as a whole and in the context of that game so that that's really my only regret in, in tournaments was not considering Joe Burrow in this spot especially because I locked Jamar Jason in every lineup yeah you know I, I had a decent amount of Chase Camara corollary pieces but did not go with any Burrow and and yeah you you definitely needed him to ship especially in large yeah. field tournaments. chasing chasing Camara correlation was uh in the Millie Maker winner yep. <laughs> was in the Millie Maker winner with Joe Burrow so Joe Burrow stacked to Chase with Camara as a bring back Makes sense. Makes sense. I would say another big bounce back from the week came from Michael Pittman, who, you know, we saw the monster game in week one when he was stone cold chalk, vastly underpriced. Then he misses week two with an injury and then is relatively quiet for the next three weeks, but probably should have, you know, seen this coming. I, I think we could have maybe projected a more pass heavy approach from the Colts with no Jonathan Taylor, no Naheem Hines. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, Michael Pittman went 13 for 134 on six. 16 targets, just Matt Ryan was completely locked onto him. He was a touchdown away from truly breaking the slate, still had a great game, was top five in terms of wide receivers on the slate. And, you know, it, it was just good to see some signs of life out of a passing game that had looked relatively lifeless recently. Big plays from Paris Campbell, big play out of Alec Pierce at the end of the game, just Matt Ryan uh, alive still. Good to know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously good to see the Colts uh, able to put up points and move the ball through the air. Alec Pierce was a very common player in tournament winners at 4,300 as, you know, the direct pivot off of Rondell Moore for 100 more, and he got there late. But Pittman, nonetheless, 16 targets, 134 yards, no touchdown. Like you said, um, if he scores a touchdown, you know, he breaks the slate. He was 6,900, so 29 points. We just know Pittman for the rest of the season, and I mean, the whole season season up to this point he's been a target monster like he's going to be a guy that gets eight plus targets pretty much in every game especially with the Colts 
not being able to control games and being up in games like how they were last year, which kind of factored into JT having his monster season was the Colts played from ahead more than any team in the league last year. And we knew that was going to regress and upgrade at quarterback with Matt Ryan, Michael Pittman. I mean, we got to, we got to consider him. And I, I think that was probably bad that we didn't consider him at all, especially after the running back news. And, you know, you mentioned Deion Jackson getting 10 targets. I mean, I think that's why he was such a good place because if you looked at the usage last week, uh, Deion Jackson ran actually a ton of routes and he is a very good prospect, like just from an athletic, uh, you know, profile standpoint. So I was happy that I got on Deion Jackson and we talked about it on Saturday and, you know, on Sunday when we were talking, I was all over it. I, I was just glad that I got onto that over uh, Hendo and, and Kenneth Walker. And it made a ton of sense, especially when you take into account the context of the slate and getting information early and potentially swapping your lineups based on that information. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Michael Pittman will be a top five wide receiver next week in terms of pricing and a great matchup against the Titans. Definitely something we will discuss on the Thursday podcast. Some other wide receivers that I would put in this bounce back category, Juju Smith-Schuster, who we've already talked about, had his first 100-yard game as a Kansas City Chief. Chase Claypool made some big plays for the Steelers. And Brandon Ayuk, who saw double-digit targets for the first time this season against the Falcons, went 8 for 83-2. and I expect that he will be a player that we are discussing at length next week at 6k at home against the Chiefs Brandon Ayuk making noise for the first time this season yeah I mean good to see out of the Niners wide receivers uh Debo who we talked about a little bit on the podcast and on the stream only finished with 16 points but 10 targets for Debo 11 targets for Ayuk uh, they were kind of forced into a more pass happy game script but we should see that once again this week uh, so he's definitely going to be in consideration but I think still moving forward the Niners passing game is not something that I want to bet on as the season goes on personally Juju good to see like a uh, spike week finally in, yeah. in his range kind of more efficient than what he's been over the course of the season, I mean, five catches, five targets, 113 yards on those five catches for a tutty. Broke that, you know, long touchdown where it looked like the Bills just didn't even care. Yeah. Like, th- those three Bills defenders made zero effort on that play. It, literally it, zero, <laughs> literally zero effort to tackle Juju. Dude, no they've probably been watching the tape and they're like, yeah, he's not going to do anything after the catch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even trolling, bro. They literally said, all right, here you go, score. We're, we're not even going to try and tackle you. But nonetheless, still good to see. And then Chase Claypool, you know, just unfortunate that I that I chose uh, George Pickens over Chase, Chase Claypool. I did consider Claypool for a second pre-lock yesterday, but I think he kind of just had a good run out with Pickett getting benched for Mitch. I, I'm pretty sure, um, un- unless Pickett got hurt, no, I'm Pickett, not sure. Pickett got hurt, Pickett got hurt. Oh, so Pickett got hurt, not benched, and Trubisky comes in and He's been locked in on Claypool when Trubisky has played. Um, so going to be interesting to see how the quarterback situation shakes out moving forward in Pittsburgh uh, with Trubisky you know, coming in and leading the Steelers to victory. Yes, it was uh, only a concussion for Pickett, so I wouldn't expect a significant amount of time to be missed. I do think that they'll go right back to him 
when he is available. Do, do we think that the Geno Smith sun run ha- has finally ended? Or was this week just a bump in the road? Geno passed for 197 yards, no touchdowns. You know, DK Metcalf finishes with two for 34, Lockett two for 17, Noah Fant's the leading receiver on the week. Geno, by far lowest yards per attempt of the season, 6.4, finally seeing that efficiency dip. Is it over? Or or is Geno Smith going to bounce back? Like, what, what are we thinking about this Seattle offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously we knew that regression was coming and he still had a 64 and a half completion percentage, which is, you know, pretty good, but yeah. it's not as good as his, you know, 80% completion percentage <laughs> over the first month of the season. Uh, so we knew that would come down. They only threw the ball 31 times, and I think it's more so just the game script. They controlled the entire game. The Cardinals could not do anything. They didn't score a touchdown on offense. The only Cardinals touchdown came on a blocked punt in the end zone. He still ran the ball six times, 48 yards, 12.68 points on DK. I think moving forward, Geno Smith is still in play every week, and they play the Chargers this week in L.A., so in a nice game environment there, in a dome. I, I just don't think there's going to be many games where Geno Smith Smith doesn't score at least one touchdown, you know, through the air or on the ground. Just, uh, I don't know. I think, I think the Cardinals did play well on defense in this spot uh, and game script for, for Seattle. Yep. That totally makes sense. God, dude, Tyler Lockett goes for 30 in week five and they leave his price the same. He goes for three points this week and they raise his price. Make it make sense, please. Like, what the fuck are we doing, DraftKings? I mean, Tyler Lockett is going to be chalk once again in, in week seven. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. All right, that's about it for stats and storylines. Uh, injuries to note for this week. We already talked about Kenny Pickett with the concussion. Marquise Brown was spotted limping and in a walking boot post-game. It is a left foot concern. Initial x-rays were negative, but this is definitely a situation to monitor. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know who's back next week? Who's that? DeAndre Hopkins. Mm, the nuclear option. So hopefully with D-Hop returning, this Cardinals offense can finally get right. Uh, maybe they you know reevaluate Cliff Kingsbury and what the fuck he's doing over there because... Who the fuck knows what's going on uh, with Arizona right now? They can't score points. Um, you know, they're like 31st in yards per play. Their offense is just horrible right now. And obviously, Hollywood Brown being hurt is not optimal. But if he can, you know, at least be healthy for this next week, I think more opportunities should open up for Hollywood as teams will have to worry about him and DeAndre Hopkins rather than him and Rondell Moore slash AJ Green. So I actually like D Hop coming back for Hollywood stock personally. I mean, my God, dude, DeAndre Hopkins on DraftKings is 5,700. It's on the, it's on the Thursday night full slate, but, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. First, first game back. First game back. And and we know, we know Kyler Murray is better with DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, what quarterback wouldn't be? Oh yeah. At home against the Saints, Marshawn Lattimore has already been ruled out. (sighs) Uh, Hopkins is going to come back and drop 35 in his first game. I hope everybody is aware. Anyway, anyways, anyways, injuries. Uh, J.K. Dobbins did not play in the second half. I, I didn't know that until I was researching, you know, the the numbers from yesterday. I guess that makes sense as to why Kenyon Drake had that resurgence. Um, it, it, it was a knee issue. Apparently his knee tightened up. I don't think they're super worried about Dobbins, but obviously not good to see the, the knee flare back up after it kept him out for the beginning of this year. Yeah, I mean, just unfortunate. I mean, Kenyon Drake looked good. I'm pretty sure like Kenyon Drake was like the leading rusher on the slate. Yeah, he he went uh, stupid. 
Yeah. Uh, so may, so maybe they got something with there, something with Kenyon Drake there, and you know we might have to consider Drake moving forward, especially if J.K. isn't going to have a voluminous role. But I mean, that was part of the J.K. Dobbins fade was him coming off a, a major injury and you know a timeshare committee offense, and he doesn't catch passes. You know, so God, obviously unfortunate, but I have no J.K. Dobbins. So yeah, no, same. Um, God, I hope we don't have to play. Kenyon Drake chalk next week at 5100 at home against the Browns that would be disgusting <laughs> but uh last injury of note Randall Cobb with what they are deeming as a potential high ankle sprain could consolidate targets even further like we saw yesterday Robert Tunyon had a monster target share 12 targets I think Dubs will get more involved as well if Randall Cobb misses significant time yeah I mean I, I think that the targets will definitely get consolidated and Robert Tunyon I think is the biggest winner here uh Robert Tunyon had what 10 11 targets in the spot 10 catches 90 yards um is kind of fi- finally working his way into a full-time role coming off of that ACL injury so he's definitely a player to keep your eye on moving forward and he has touched on upside and Rodgers trusts him as well so it looks like Tunyon I think in my opinion is slash will be the biggest winner if Randall Cobb were to miss especially with you know the over the middle targets but nonetheless this Packers offense is still very very dead in my opinion and kind of predictable coming into the season with just a lack of talent I mean there's only so much that an elite quarterback can do with just horrible skill position players or not horrible I should say but you know below average skill position players and, right below I mean, average young young guys that maybe need some time to develop and just haven't had the opportunity to at all and, and we're kind of yeah we're kind of seeing that play out uh, with the Packers offense you know Rodgers has like seven straight games where he has an eclipse like 275 passing yards I think I saw that stat on ESPN this morning like I said prior to the season it just fully reminds me of the 2019 Patriots where you have an elite quarterback but the skill position talent is so bad that it doesn't really matter yeah no that that's that's absolutely fair and I think we're seeing that play out across the league like with how well Gino's doing that the the surrounding talent makes a huge difference like Gino's not doing that without DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett so yeah definitely a factor without a doubt okay And that is going to be it for episode 256 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Dose Media Net as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what is going on with the podcast, you can join the Inner Circle via our free Discord channel. Link to find that is in the show notes to this podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.